Welcome to Amigo Radio. I want to say eight point seven. I no. think you're right. Yeah, no, no, what? that's right. Yeah, oh <laughs> I just pulled. Everyone just saw me pull up the article. Terribly yes, eight point seven. Myself. <laughs> All right, oh. it is. It is that time. It is Michigan State Week. Our uh, little brother type object has has hit the schedule. But before we talk about them, we'd like to thank Underground Printing for making this all possible. UGP makes custom apparel such as T-shirts and sweatshirts, and it was founded by two Michigan alums over 20 years ago. They have three retail locations in Ann Arbor and offer thousands of University of Michigan athletic products for sale, ranging from clothing to accessories and memorabilia. Check them out at UGPMichiganApparel.com or check out our selection of shirts on the MGoBlogStore.com. Let's not forget our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Homeshare Lending, Ann Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grant, Human Element, the Phil Klein Insurance Group, Venue by 4M, which, where we, which is where we record on Sundays, and Signal Wire, which is where we are doing this one right now. All right, I'm Brian Cook. I'm Seth Fisher. And I'm Alex Drain. And Michigan State is up next. And all rivalry, respect with a K aside, this is not a good football team. Uh, Yeah. I think that um, their defense has been a little bit worse than it would be at full strength and the offense as well. They've had a lot of injuries, so I do want to preface that first because there's been times this year where they've looked like a 2-10 team, and I think they're closer to 6-6, six and six, roughly 5-7, and seven, something like that. So just get that out of the way first. But, um, yeah, uh, they had a run there of, I think, was it four straight Power 5 games against Washington, Minnesota, uh, Maryland and then Ohio State that none of them were remotely <laughs> competitive in, in any way. There were some scores that were closer than the yardage indicated, but even the scores were not terribly close. No, the closest one of those games was a two touchdown loss to Maryland, which fe- featured Michigan third goal line stand of the season. So just don't get down to exactly the one yard line and you're probably going to be good. The injuries mentioned uh, Darius Snow, a linebacker, is out for the year. Chris Bogle and um, a Polish guy. <laughs> I forget his name. Jeff Petrowski. Oh, Jeff Petrowski yeah. are yeah. defensive ends who haven't played much at all. Jacoby Windman, their UNLV transfer, they moved to middle linebacker. Uh, he was a linebacker last year. He was an edge uh, for a brief flurry where he had like five sacks in the opener and then didn't really produce after that. And then. Um, Jacob Slade, who's a very good defensive tackle, has been out, came back for the Wisconsin game. So we don't know the exact status of Bogle and Petrowski. Neither of them have dressed in a long time, did get a bye week. It is the Michigan game. Can they go? Maybe. Is it going to make a big difference? I don't know. So I would say the strength of this defense and probably the team, according to Alex's reckoning, is their defensive tackles. Which, no surprise there. I mean, uh, Michigan State's been churning out these feisty bulldogs at the defensive tackle spot for a while now. Um, And it's just kind of the next guys up. Now, Slade is a lot better than the other uh, ones when he's at full strength. He was not against Wisconsin. That was pretty clear. They were taking him off the field quite a bit. He didn't even start the game on the field. But we kept the star on him because he was such a good player last year. And he was a really important player in that matchup against Michigan last season. Um, And when he's healthy, that's a force you have to account for. So that's kind of the question will be, how close is he to 100%? He's now gotten two more weeks to 
rest up and, and we'll see where he goes from there. But they do have some solid players besides him as well. You have uh, Simeon Barrow, who I thought was their second best defensive tackle last season. And, um, you know, he's continued to be solid. But the kind of the emerging guy is Derek Harmon, who I really liked uh, his performance against Wisconsin as well. So that's three guys you can rotate in there. And they actually go six or seven deep at this position because they also do Deshaun Mallory, Jalen Hunt, uh, Alex Van Sumeren, the younger brother of Ben. There's a lot of guys uh, that they rotate here. But if they stick to those top three that I like and they get slate healthy, uh, that's going to be a, a force to talk about. And, and we look back at some of the teams Michigan's played, right? Penn State, Iowa, those are good defenses. But we came in saying, well, the defensive tackle is probably not the strength of those defenses. Certainly was not the case for Iowa. And Michigan was able to eject some of those defensive tackles for Penn State. So for my money, this is probably the best defensive interior Michigan's played so far this season. On the flip side, the edge of that defense has had a lot of injuries and they moved women back to linebacker. So... The guys out there right now are just guys. And Michigan has had a lot of success this year just piling up the tight ends and saying, all right, defensive ends, hold up. Linebackers, here's some extra gaps. Defensive backs, come on in and see what you can do. And this kind of feels like another game where you're going to see a lot of trip tight ends to one side of the line. Yeah, it does feel that way. Um, you know, Jeff Petrowski is the one I'm curious to see if they get him back because he was kind of a half starter last season. I thought he wasn't half bad, but it's missed so much of the year. It's hard to even know if he would be close to what he was last year. In his absence, they've had to rotate a ton of guys. Both uh, ends on our diagram are not filled in, which means they're rotating. And you saw a lot of guys here against Wisconsin. So Zion Young is, a, I believe, a true freshman who they, yeah. they really like. I don't see it yet, but he's a true freshman. So we'll see how his career plays out. But I don't know if he's ready yet. Brandon Wright, I didn't hate as the other nominal starter there. But these High guys praise from Alex. These guys are <laughs> <laughs> these guys are I mean, <laughs> look what he's had to look at this. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> he's uh, been completely reset by like Hawaii and Yukon defensive yeah, ends. Yeah, we've but, given him. Go ahead. Yeah, these guys are two fifty and two sixty. So they don't have a Mike Morris sort of anchor type guy out there, right? And so if you load up the tight ends, that's something that I'm curious about, the ability to just, you know, shove these guys out of the way. And that's something Wisconsin had some success uh, against, being able to, to get outside the tackles, seal the edge off right there and, and get some running room. And the, the thing with these guys is they're not organic pass rushers at this point. And that's why when you see them go into third and long, here's what they do. They take a couple of the defensive linemen off the field and they put Winman and Aaron Brule, their Sam linebacker, on the defensive line as stand-up edge rushers. And then they go with Winman and Dan Sumerin as the linebackers. So in personnel, it's a 2-4-5, but obviously it, it looks like a 4-2-5. It's just the wrinkle is their linebackers are their best pass rushers and they don't really believe in the edges as pass rushers. Right, and you can see that in their stats. Standard down pass rush is very poor for Michigan State, and it gets a lot better once you get into passing down. So that's something that Michigan's going to want to try to avoid, and uh, they probably should because this might be the worst secondary in the Big Ten. Uh, yeah, might be. The funny thing about this is, so they rolled back both of their starters from last season at corner, and neither of them are playing much. <laughs> They've been replaced, and the new guys are not any better. So <laughs> Ronald Williams, the second from Alabama and uh, Chester Kimbrough, who I believe was from Florida, they were the guys last year. Kimbrough had that heinous performance against Washington 
and has not been seen again. Uh, he had six snaps against Ohio State. That was the end of him, basically. And Williams does rotate in a little bit, but those two guys are gone. And in steps Charles Brantley and uh, Georgia transfer Amir Speed. And I don't really see a discernible improvement there in, in terms of um, the ability to cover. Speed had one nice coverage clip against Wisconsin. That was really it for these guys. It's it's just like last year, right? There's the, the hitch, the out route. That's there all day long, all yeah. day long. They, they don't cover that whatsoever. They're guarding against the, the deep shot, and yet they still give up too many of those, especially against Ohio State. And there's been plays, I clipped one, well, it was in a YouTube, but uh, from Maryland where there's just a tight end open with no one within 15, 20 yards. And you can generally find that on a lot of games this season. Not against Wisconsin, but boy, is Wisconsin a rough offense. And their nickelback is a D2 transfer. Correct. Yep. Kendall Brooks from North Greenville University. So we saw what it looks like with a unit of five guys that has to field a D2 transfer looks like against a competent Michigan unit. That was Indiana's offensive line <laughs> giving up 60 billion sacks. And this kind of feels like the similar situation where you're going to bring this guy in on a passing down. And who's he going to cover? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And uh, Dylan Tatum, they're working in. He's a freshman. I believe he was from West Bloomfield, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. he was the guy that, we, yeah. So Michigan fans all thought we were going to get him because, you know, Ron Bellamy had him for yep. years. He was a Michigan State fan. And I think we ended up okay at safety this year with our class. Like, you know, I, <laughs> I think we're okay with Zeke Berry and Keon yeah. Sab and, um, yeah, and, and Damani Dent. But like Tatum, you know, he's an athlete and he's yeah. like made for that nickel role. So I, I think that they've actually against Wisconsin tried to replace Kendall Brooks with Dylan Tatum. Yeah, he did play, know, I believe, uh, 34 snaps in that game. And and I think there's some promise there. But again, that was a true freshman in his first game getting any real substantial run. So that's kind of where they're at at that position. And then the safeties. So they get Xavier Henderson back. And he's a really important player for them from a leadership standpoint, right? He's the guy that gets them all lined up, make sure they know what the calls are, all that sort of stuff. But he's got his limitations too. He's better as a blitzer and a run defender than he is in coverage. And uh, he missed a lot of time. He went down, I think it was in the first game against Western and then did not come back to Wisconsin. So they they were without him for a while. And I don't, again, know how close he is to truly being a hundred percent and, and, Angelo Gross there as well as is a guy I'm not a, a huge fan of personally. So he's just a, it's just a, a that secondary. Makes, that one sound like you've got beef with him. <laughs> it's it's a secondary with a lot of issues, and it doesn't help that every guy on this team you can look at and you say, what's his strength? Well, he's better in run defense. What's the weakness? Well, he's weak in coverage, right? That's true for Halliday. It's true for Henderson. It's true for Angelo Gross. It's all these guys that their weak spot is coverage, and it sums up to a defense that just can't cover anybody. And, and you look at those numbers I put in the piece against power five quarterbacks. I mean, I went <laughs> with just CJ Stroud's numbers from the Ohio state game, not the, the backup who was also pretty solid in that game, but there's very few incompletions uh, when they go up against power five uh, competition. And that's kind of the most concerning part, not just no incompletions. I mean, Minnesota, three incompletions total. Ohio State, five incompletions total. And we're talking 26 passes here. And there's no interceptions either. <laughs> there's no chaos. There's no takeaways. It's just a guy wide open and the throw is made complete first down and, and the chains move. And their one interception was a ball in which the Ohio State receiver runs down the field and 
Stroud throws an out, and it goes right to the Michigan State corner, who, by the way, isn't covering the Ohio State guy who's running open down the sideline. But that's the one interception they've gotten against a Power 5 uh, opponent with a functional quarterback, which, by the way, Graham Mertz, woof. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. So one thing that really popped out is that Michigan State's given up 87 passes of 10 or more yards which is the worst in the conference. And we were, we've we always talked about how bad Michigan State, their secondary was a year ago. I mean, they were very bad. They gave up 7.6 yards in attempt, which was 11th or 12th in the league. This year, they're dead last, 8.2 yards in attempt. And against everybody except Graham Mertz, it's a power five quarterback, they've gotten completely eviscerated. So given what we've seen from JJ McCarthy, been extremely accurate, extremely good at, at not making big mistakes. Um, you know, I, I just can't see a way that Michigan just doesn't march up and down the field here. And then they're going to try to bow up in the red zone and see how that goes. That's something that Michigan has had some struggles with. They kicked a lot of field goals against Iowa. They kicked a number of field goals against Penn state, but just in terms of is Michigan going to be able to move the ball against these guys? I think it's going to be, another game where how many punts is Brad Robbins going to have? Yeah, that, that feels apt. And remember last year, Michigan state was this ultimate bend, not break defense. They'd give up all these yards and they get in the red zone. They'd slam the door. That hasn't happened as much this season. The only time it's happened is what we mentioned at the top, which is at the one yard line. First and yeah. goal at the one, that's when the door is shut, but <laughs> they even into the red zone situations, they haven't been great at, at forcing field goals this season. So, I don't know. It It's hard to see Michigan not piling up a, a ton of yards. And, and if you don't turn it over, that's probably going to translate to a lot of points. Yeah. And for Michigan, the thing that you're concerned about is they've had a bye week. It's their Super Bowl. This is pretty much the only game they care. They care about the rest of the season. So you're going to get the kitchen sink and you might get a completely different defensive approach than they've shown for the rest of the season. And you need to be prepped for that. You need to be cognizant of the idea that they might, change up a bunch of stuff like Iowa just ran a bunch of cover zero against Ohio state. And it worked pretty well, probably because Ohio state had no idea that was going to be on the, on the way. So and they were in the uh, red zone that time. So like it didn't, it didn't matter that yeah. much. Well, I mean, yeah, they were also starting at the Iowa 25 every time, but they were forcing field goals. I yeah. mean, that's not nothing. So that's, I think that's gotta be the main concern is that you're going to get a Michigan state defense that, surprises J.J. McCarthy by doing stuff that they haven't put on tape yet. And maybe they are they are going to be hyper-aggressive against the run. The other thing is that this is not a good run defense. They gave up five yards of carry to everybody except Wisconsin and uh, Washington. Like They gave up five, 5.6 yards of carry to Western Michigan once you get rid of all the sacks. And that's Western Michigan's best performance of the season. Now, you know, they didn't have Henderson. They didn't have Slade. These things are factors. But I just... I'm not sure how much getting a couple guys back is going to solve those problems. This feels well, like. Well, yeah. And last year, Slade really gave Michigan the business, but he was also going against Carson Barnhart at guard, which was right. kind of like a. You know, remember, like that was when Michigan was super injured on the line. So, I mean, you graded Barnhart. We'll get into this that he has some, you know, mistakes in the run game, but I think he was just a fish out of water in that game, particularly. So, you know, you put him against Keegan and Zinter, and I think you might have a little bit more success. Oliotimi probably can handle Slade. Yeah. On the other side of the ball, Michigan uh, State's Kenneth Walker, the third, should have won the Heisman last year. <laughs> Facts. <laughs> Facts. 
he got 6.2 yards of carry running behind pretty much this offensive line. And nobody on this, they've played, they've tried three different backs. Every single one of them averages like exactly three yards of carry. They have a total of three yards, uh, three runs of 20 or more yards this season, two of which came against Mac teams. And the third is a Peyton Thorne scramble against Washington. They have no explosion. They're like a hundredth in power success rate. They're like a hundredth in line yards. This is the worst rushing defense. I mean, rushing offense that Michigan has faced. I mean, maybe Indiana, Indiana, that, yeah, that Indiana. would be my vote. Yeah. Indiana. All right. But other than that, I mean, this is even Indiana was able to crack Michigan a couple of times and get some chunk yards. These guys haven't been able to do that all year. And um, <laughs> I just can't. I mean, we're going to see. We're going to see what pro football focus is offensive <laughs> line. This is like the acid test, right? Yeah. <laughs> I can't, right. This is a Michigan defense that is number one in the country in preventing five yard runs. It's opportunity rate. So. If you run it against Michigan, thirteen uh, percent of the time you get five or more yards, and this is a Michigan State team that just does not generate chunk plays. So basically, every run in this game is going to be somewhere between zero and three yards for Michigan State. That's what it would seem like. You have a an offensive line that has had a lot of struggles this season, both in pass pro and and in uh, run offense. But certainly for the rush offense, they have to do the heavy lifting because you look at. These running backs, they bring in two transfer guys, Jalen Berger from Wisconsin and, and Jarek Broussard from Colorado, and, and neither guy are really showing that ability to kind of pull the rabbit out of the hat and make something out of nothing. They don't really show great vision or uh, you know slipperiness to, to make guys miss, which is essential for playing behind this offensive line because they're just not opening a ton of holes. The interior in particular, Nick Samak at center and uh, Matt Carrick at right guard are guys that did not have good showings against Wisconsin. They continue to have this bizarre thing that happened last year where Tyler Hunt is their blocking tight end, and he's awful at blocking. And I don't <laughs> understand what the point of him is. if Because he's not a you know a major receiver either. And so you have three spots out of six that are, are really struggling. And J.D. Duplain isn't terrible. And I, and I like uh, Spencer Brown against Wisconsin. He's been wobblier at earlier times this season. But there's not a lot of unit cohesion they're not opening big holes and against Wisconsin in particular, right? We know Wisconsin linebackers know where to be and they were right there. Even if you got a little bit of a hole, they were in position to, to bog it up. And uh, these Michigan state running backs, they just don't have that ability to make something happen and to make a guy miss. And that's kind of the central problem because, and it's not hard to see why, because you look at the team last year, the blocking I think was pretty similar. It might have been a little bit better because they had more depth and ability to try out different things, but their blocking for KW3 was not good last year, and he just made it happen. And now you've got two guys that don't make it happen, and that's not a, a slight on them. They're just guys, and as a result, they're not running for very much. I find Elijah Collins fascinating. Yeah. So he, <laughs> he's he still around? Mich yeah, he's Mich he was Michigan's main back in 2019. 2019, yeah. 222 carries for almost a thousand yards that year. And we put a the, star on him. The ensuing three years, 41 carries, 18 carries, 30 carries. And I mean, he's not a guy who's going to change the equation for, for Michigan state. They, they ran him 14 times against Wisconsin. He got exactly three yards of carry, but I mean, it's just, well, he could come back next year. He's got a COVID year. He could, yep. we could see Elijah Collins, 2023. And that's like, that's like Britain Covey territory. 
Yeah, what's shocking about him is that he never transferred because he was the star of the last Antonio offense. You bring in a new coach. The new coach is like, we don't have any use for you. And he sits on the bench for two years. In this day and age, typically that guy's gone after year one. And certainly after year two where he's not used at all. And he wasn't used for a while this season. And then he pops up against Maryland and has a decent showing on seven or eight carries, then doesn't do much against Ohio state, but then uh, against uh, Wisconsin, he was basically their number two. Broussard only carried it a few times and Collins was the second guy to burger. So he might be in, you know, firmly vying for the, for the top job here. So kudos to him for sticking it out, but it's not an easy gig to, to run behind these, I think he was actually in the portal at one point, and then like every other running back was too. So when he goes, "Oh well, <laughs> you guys are gone." Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna make a joke about how he must like some particular thing that you could like any slancing, but then I was g- couldn't think of anything except Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> oh, uh, the dairy store, man! Yeah, uh, yeah, he's, store? He's got, yeah, he likes the ice cream at the school dairy store. Dairy that, that, store. That, that place is rad, and Crunchy Burgers. Crunchy's got good burgers. Okay. That's it. That's, that's, I've run out of things, <laughs> things to no. say about Michigan State's campus. My theory about Elijah Collins is that he doesn't know that there's other places you can get Buffalo Wild Wings. That's what we're going oh. with. All right. Uh, passing game, they got Jaden Reed back last week. Uh, nine targets. Uh, excellent fade touchdown. Also threw a touchdown pass in overtime. Uh, pretty much the only dude on this team. And then Peyton Thorne is a guy who... I mean, he's basically Sean Clifford, except he's not like grizzled Clint Eastwood, Sean Clifford yet. He's relatively mobile. He's pretty good when you need him to improvise. He can drop some dimes. uh, And he's also debatably inaccurate. Like his accuracy is not NFL level. He's not a prospect uh, to go to the league. And the large, the main reason why is because he's just inconsistent. Yeah, he's hot and cold over the course of a whole game. And and with him, it's this pattern we've seen with MSU this season, which I think is a little concerning, where you have a lot of guys who kind of came out of nowhere last season, and everyone's like, oh, here we go. We got a guy. And then they take a step back the next year. Um, that happened for a few guys on defense, too. So he has become less accurate, uh, less efficient, turning it over more. And they've kind of dumbed the the passing game down a little bit. So they're throwing a lot more screens than they did last year. Last year, they were so big on the deep ball, which they're still throwing a decent amount, but they're having him throw a little bit shorter. So his completion percentage is up, but his yards per attempt is is down. And I think that's a, a response to the accuracy issues. Early in the season in particular, he's airmailing guys. That's the big issue. He's not noodle arming it. He's sailing these balls way over the receiver's heads. And that's led to... About once or twice a week, he has at least one just howler throw, and those tend to end up as interceptions. And part of it may be the pass protection. He has to throw on the run quite a bit. They roll him out a decent bit, and he has to scramble a decent bit just because of the blockers in front of him. So that is probably a role here, but he's a guy that can just kind of look like he's in a coma for a lot of the game, and then all of a sudden throws out a couple daggers, and that the chemistry he has with Jaden Reed, of course, dating back to before Michigan State when they played together, it's still there. He knows how to drop the dime in into a tight window 
and it kind of comes out of nowhere. In some ways, it's kind of reminiscent of how Alex Hornibrook would do that back in the day, where he just would be irrelevant for most of the game and then would be one, two lightning bolt throws. Yeah, but Hornibrook went would throw lobs. His his were like right down the middle. Yeah, like his were lasers the down the face. seam. Yeah. yeah, Hornibrook would throw to the most covered guys in the world. <laughs> And he would put yeah. it in like the micrometer that you needed to, yeah. to complete it. And and to Thorne's credit, he has some receivers. Like Reed is the guy that gets a lot of attention, and, and he's got a track record. But I think Keon Coleman is on his way to being a decent player. And, and I mean, he's a decent player now, but a, a good player. And he's got some things to still work on as a basketball guy, but the hops are there. And he can jump up and, and do the contested catch insanity that – Jaden Reed can do at times. And so that trick play that Reed throws to him in overtime, they've got Reed on the run and he fires it up there. And this thing looks like it's getting picked off and the Wisconsin guy is leaping up. Oh, here it is. And then Keon Coleman just comes out of nowhere, leaps like five feet in the air and just, you know, trashes this guy, snags it out of midair and, and lands on top of him. And he's got the ability to do that. So this is going to be an offense that I think has some, some similarities to the, uh, Rocky Lombardi to Ricky White thing, which has been mentioned uh, by other people this week, right? Where it's kind of like our one thing to move the ball consistently is and just of course to it's the throw same it up there and, and and hope that our guys come down with it. And sometimes they do. So in, in some ways, it's kind of um, Penn State-like, right? Where they're probably not going to be super efficient down to down, but they'll get a few big plays because they have a couple guys at wide receiver and the quarterback has chemistry with them. But opening up lanes in the running game, consistent pass offense probably not there and probably some turnovers and they'll run into a wall a lot but they'll make a few plays that'll probably you know make you want to tear your hair out right the some of the throws we saw stroud to olave last year right in the game where it's just like how did he come down with that and that was mostly garrett wilson if i remember correctly olave yeah. had a couple as well but yes garrett no wilson olave was, had like nothing yeah he had that DJ one turner over dj turner one. and yeah, then there was, was yeah jsn with the like pro throw which yeah Anyway, we won that game, huh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else about Michigan State other than Peyton Thorne lobs that you're worried about? Well, I mean, tight ends. we have to talk about. Their punter. Uh, yeah. They have the best punter in America. <laughs> he wears glasses. Uh, well, then of course he's the best punter. But their their field goal unit is trash. They're one of four on the season, and they uh, had an issue against Wisconsin where they had a missed snap that turned a game-winning attempt into a uh, improvised Jareth Glanda moment. And uh, <clears throat> you know why that is? Uh, go ahead. Their snappers hurt. Uh, <laughs> this is something that one of the people in the comments mentioned, and I remember hearing this previously and forgotten about it, but the snappers out, and that has caused some of the problems. The kickers aren't very good either, but it's a multi-dimensional issue here in the kicking game. All right. Uh, predictions. Alex. Uh, 44-17. Ah, wow. Seth? Uh, 42 to 2.7. I had 29 to 10. I'm feeling my field goals. All right, we're going to take a break, come back and talk to Regent Jordan Acker. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. 
it's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family reunion, or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter, Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing people down to pay, wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirt.com. At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner from Peak Wealth Management in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. And now we have over $240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley anyway, and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, and make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management, your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. One and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference. It can be a rough ride along the information superhighway. That's why we build our e-commerce websites tough enough to handle the load. With the capacity to take hundreds of simultaneous online transactions and the stability of load-balanced co-located server architectures, a website from Human Element performs in the roughest conditions. Thousands of products? No problem. We'll throw in the tools to manage them with precision and efficiency. All with a design slick enough to make you think your girlfriend might be impressed. So load it up and hit the gas and let Human Element show you the way. Special offers available for returning lessees. Financing available with approved credit to qualified buyers. Client participation may affect savings. Optional equipment available at additional cost. See human-element.com for details. Welcome back to Emigo Radio 8.7. We now welcome in Regent Jordan Acker. How are you doing, Jordan? Great to be here. I'm doing great. It's Friday, Michigan State Week. It's beautiful in Ann Arbor. How could it be going going bad? I uh, know. Uh, so you uh, recently attended the Michigan Sports Business Conference, which is usually at Ross, but it was at Kinney's this year. How, how did that go from your perspective? Well, first of all, it's an incredible conference put on by our students. Um, but the thing that I was most interested, obviously, is going to see uh, the NIL uh, presentation that Jared Wangler did uh, with Hunter Dickinson and some other leaders in the NIL space outside of Michigan. And uh, I was pleasantly surprised to hear some good comments from our student athletes, especially from Hunter. It was great. 
Um, and so that uh, makes me feel um, like we're headed in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, even so if we're, we're a little behind still. I like that you brought that up because now I can talk about it without feeling like I'm shoehorning it in. How much, like when you talk to a regular civilian who's not associated with the university, who knows you're a regent, how many times is NIL like the first thing out of their mouth? It's usually, okay, so it's either stop having night games or let's talk about <laughs> NIL. And you can, I think we can tell the age demographic of each of these. Um, so, you know, especially younger people are really, you know, they bring it up. It comes up all the time because it's sexy and it's kind of new. Um, but I think one of the things that people don't understand about NIL is, is that 80% of what you read in the media isn't true or exaggerated. And everybody feels like everyone else is doing it better. And I'll give you right. just a perfect example. Everyone talked in the last year about how great Texas A&M was doing on the NIL front. Well, if you go look to see what they're getting outside of football, which is a huge part of NIL, it's almost nothing compared to what Michigan does uh, for our Olympic athletes, for our female athletes, for men's basketball too. Um, so you, you hear it from all sides. People are um, understandably nervous. Uh, they're understandably concerned about what this means for the Michigan student athlete. Uh, but ultimately, uh, I, I think there's a, a renewed sense of optimism, especially since uh, President Ono started, um, that we're getting it right. And we are. So you've you've been very publicly supportive of all this NIL stuff since it showed up on the horizon. Um, you mentioned Santa Ono, the new president. Do you think that he has a material impact on the way this goes? Or is it more of just a you know, you got to turn the ship of state around and it's not exactly the most nimble. Yeah, I think he'll have a big impact um, because the thing about about Santa Ono is that he's been the president at two major universities prior to this. Uh, while there's a learning curve and learning Michigan that obviously comes into this, he understands how to operate a university of this size and of this caliber. And this is something that he's is really important to him that we get right. Um, one of the things he said to us in his interview was, I want to be the best at everything. I want the best academics, the best uh, academic medical center, and I want the best athletics, period. Um, and, and that means competing for and winning national championships in football. This is Michigan. And I, you know, I think he's really been focused on it, and he, he's mentioned it in interviews. He's mentioned it to me. We talk about it privately uh, pretty frequently, and I, I, I'm very confident that uh, he and Ward are going to get this right. Uh, another Santa Ono initiative is that he just created an independent, I'm not sure what to call it, a board or a committee that's going to start handling these uh, sexual harassment slash assault cases yes. on the university. We've had a spate of them. There's been a large number of uh, accusations and a large number of people um, getting sidelined by them. How is that going to work? And what does this improve about the process of going through these complaints? So I think the, the thing to understand is, is that this sort of independent compliance office, and when we say independent, meaning it doesn't report to any administrators directly, it is a dual report uh, to the general counsel and the board. General counsel, of course, reports to the board before they report to the administration. So it is a board report. And the reason why this is important is because as we've seen in these terrible situations involving high-level administrators at the university, there's a lot of fear, a lot of fear of who they're reporting to. For example, uh, prior to 2020, uh, the office of uh, the Title IX office reported to the provost. And we now know that the provost <laughs> was Oops. the one engaging in the sexual misconduct. 
And so what this really does, it gets us to best practices amongst all AAU universities. Uh, our faculty, our students, our staff talked a lot about this being one of the most important things. And it was the largest and final recommendation that uh, the guidepost consulting gave to the university after uh, the Philbert and after the, the Anderson reports. So I think that it's a real credit to Santa Ono that he talked to uh, constituent groups throughout the university and said, we have to do this. We have to do this to start regaining trust. And he put a marker down and he said to the board and he said to the his executive officers and the deans, we're going here, we are doing this, now let's make it happen. So what the details look like, we're gonna figure out over the next few months, but I'm really confident that that this is the way to go and that Santa announcing this is a great start to it. You know, this is a 20 year problem, uh, probably more actually, if we talk about the, the years it goes back for, for uh, Dr. Anderson. Uh -huh. It's not gonna be fixed in 18 months, it's not gonna be fixed in two years, but we have to constantly work at it to make sure Michigan is the model in this, just like we're the model or should be the model in everything else. Uh, another major initiative that uh, just came up is that the uh, lecturers have a new contract that has pay parity for both Dearborn and Flint campuses. Um, and I know a number of lecturers and they're always very yes. frustrated by these negotiations because it just feels like fairly basic accommodations. They have to fight tooth and nail for basically anything. And it just kind of feels like there's this adversarial component that feels more like a corporation than a university. Yeah. Is there any change in that sort of philosophy maybe on the horizon? I, I think so. You know, I think a lot of the issues um, that involve labor uh, in, over the last few years, and obviously um, just looking back at, at 2018, the lecturers were, were really, let's be honest, they were getting screwed prior, prior to 2018. Their, their pay rate was terrible for a university of our size. So the board pushed and required the administration to move up to a livable wage. And um, we wanna go beyond where we were in 2018 and in 2020. I think a big part of it is the relationships uh, between the administration and labor were just not there. And you know, I, I think we can um, chalk it up a little bit to the former president, um, but I think this is something that's gone on a long time at Michigan. And I think the, the wonderful thing about Santa is having this moment to reset, to look at and say, what are we missing? And one of the things that we looked at when we hired Santa was his ability to form and build these relationships. And I know he's been speaking to labor leaders uh, since he became the president. I know he's gonna continue to engage because what seems to end up happening from my perspective is that there's no relationship until they get to the bargaining table. Nobody trusts each other. Nobody feels like they can um, have honest conversations until we're 10 minutes from a strike and then they have to back channel it to try to figure it out. I think it's better and I think President Ono agrees to have to build those relationships prior so we they have regular meetings, regular lunches uh, with labor so it doesn't get to that point. Because I agree with you, it, it has been, uh, every labor negotiation has been contentious and I think there's a better way to go about it. Um, and I think, I think that's one thing that Santa Ono having that experience at Cincinnati and at UBC will really be great at doing. Another major issue facing the university is skyrocketing housing costs in Ann Arbor. We have the Go Blue Guarantee, which mm -hmm. means that if you make the median, you don't pay tuition, but you still got to have a place to live. Um, 
there's a new city council that's entirely YIMBY. So there's an opportunity to actually build a significant amount of housing. Is the university going to be involved at that at all? Historically, they have not really had good relations with the city. Historically, they've been a little bit at odds. And it feels like this is an equity issue that has gone completely unaddressed over the past 20 years by the university. They build a dorm here and there, but in terms of opening up the city for the increasing number of students that they enroll, they've kind of fallen down on the job there. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, I would really like to see the university continue to um, to build, have a serious housing build. You know, we really haven't had a serious build of new housing since the 60s at this point. Um, and that uh, that's a problem. You know, if you go up to North Campus, there's tons of space. Uh, obviously, there's there's spaces on central campus to to look at. Um, but I think that I think you're absolutely right. Uh, we've increased the number of students at the university without increasing the housing stock. And this will be my two second pitch that we should also consider uh, the future of Mary Markley and how it should not exist anymore. Um, <laughs> that, um, uh, I, Spoken like a true Hill person there. <laughs> I am like a true, like a true Alice Lloyd resident. Uh, I, it, it's, you know, part of the issue here is, is, well, the founders of the university made a mistake and they built our medical center on a hill, which means that you just don't have a t- enough room around it for parking and adjacent medical buildings that other uh, university hospitals are able to build. So we're kind of stuck now. Um, and it, it seems to me like the, the smartest and easiest thing to do um, is to consider moving those beds elsewhere and having more beds uh, to replace them because ultimately, yes, we've increased the size of our of our classes and we need to house them uh the the building on south u has concerned me um not because they're not beautiful new high-rises but the price of housing is out of control and the university can control that by adding to the number of beds in the city well there i mean there's pros and cons there right because if a university builds a bed the city doesn't see any revenue from it right so one of the things that's kind of an issue is we have all these like this is kind of getting out of the region box here, but we have a ton of old rentals in town. There's a place that I used to live uh, right next to the CCRB that's paying like 38% of its state equalized value in taxes. Mm-hmm. So you get the foundry lofts that come in and they're paying five times per bed in taxable value than with these old rundown shacks, we'll say. Yeah. And so yeah. I, think, I think that there might be a role for the university to play, not just in creating its own housing, but advocating for and assisting with, you know, private housing in Ann Arbor that's student oriented in ways that, you know, you get those five over one apartment buildings and you put them all in the places where you're currently renting out single, uh, uh, single family homes to students and you get a, a big uplift both in tax revenue and hopefully you get some price controls but this is me yelling at you i, I know i know question I <laughs> did you know important. brian was going to turn this into his yimby and president ono to a city council meeting very quickly um <laughs> I a, but i do think you make a great point that it is important that the university is a good neighbor um that it hasn't always been that way in the past and you know i think one of the things that um again you know having santa ono here is is that this was his way at UBC, being a good neighbor in the city of Vancouver. Same at Cincinnati. Um, and I think that that's, these are things that we have, the board considered uh, when hiring a new president. And I think it's something that we, we need to do a better job of, of being 
uh, of being good neighbors to the, the people of Ann Arbor who um, also get a tremendous benefit from the university being here as well. That's true. And some of them even believe that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One last thing. Uh, yeah. Can I hold you personally responsible if Michigan's NIL is not sufficient to get Hunter Dickinson back for a senior season? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, uh, no. No. <laughs> Look, it is. It That's is just like a politician of, shirking your duties. It's in the interest of everyone on this uh, on this Zoom right now that uh, Michigan has a great NIL program because regardless of who's here, you know, if Hunter graduates or any other student athlete goes pro, um, you'll know that there's someone who's coming here and is attracted to our NIL program. And I, I'm going to end this by shouting out Jared Wangler, um, who uh, sometimes gets a little bit of slack in the uh, in the forums and uh, online on Twitter. Um People don't understand that without Jared literally working 20, 21 hour days on this, Michigan would have had nothing. And to have the to be the first school in the country that had an NIL store in the stadium actually is really a lot about his hard work and everything he did there. Alabama just put that in four weeks ago. So it tells you, okay, are we behind? We're not giving guys the bag, right? But at the end of the day, we have the best marketing program. And that's why, you know, the, the attitudes towards it amongst our own student athletes has improved. Also getting paid. All right. Thank you for stopping in, Jordan, and have a, have a productive election season. I know you're not up yet, but. <laughs> Go blue. I, I promise I can't say anything. Seth, that's on you. Guys, thank you so much for having me, and uh, go blue. Let's beat state tomorrow. Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO Blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash mgoblog. At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications. Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications. These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be. You can add cutting-edge, real-time video and audio to any product, website, or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high quality and low latency communication functionality, the video, voice, and text messaging capabilities. Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate. See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication. Hey, so I have like insurance and stuff, but I don't really like know what's going on with it. Yeah, you- it, your your coverage probably sucks, and you're paying way too much for it. And I know this because 
I had a guy, uh, he's a, uh, his name's Phil Klein. He's actually a Michigan alum and wrestled for Michigan. He okay. looked at my insurance and he was like, yeah, your coverage sucks and you're paying a lot more than you need to for it. I also like, I, I hesitate to even mention this, but I do have my insurance from a company that advertises during college football games. Well, and I wish that was not the case. Well, why don't you just get it from a cool guy who actually like reads them go blog? Well, how would I do that? They have a website? <laughs> they have one of those, too. It's philkleininsurance.com. Can you remember the name Phil Klein? Sure. Can you remember insurance? Yes. Okay. Use those two together, and you will save money on your insurance, and you will actually get better coverage on your home and your auto, and they do life, too. All right. So, you're telling me if I Google Phil Klein insurance, this, this website will come up? Yes. Wonders never cease. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom-printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com. Go Radio 8.7. Now it is time to talk about a football game that happened almost entirely two weeks ago. But that's what Don't care! <laughs> Don't care! This one's really fun to break down. <laughs> it was really fun. I was going to get the UFR up like a couple days earlier, and then I was just like, I kept writing. It's it delightful. I, I got mine out really fast because I was like having so much fun. To, like I was like, okay, I can take a couple days to do this, and I was like, actually, no, I'm just gonna do it. Like I, uh, I'm, I'm having a good time. I'm now in this bad habit where I'm like, how many clips did I take? And it's like forty. I'm like, oh god. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it took you like nine years to get there. It took me like one year to start doing that. But well, anyway. So yeah. uh, shall we start with the offense because it was 400 yards of rushing and. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. So I know that I beat on this all the time, but there was a really annoying period during about the Denard era. It was like, you know, having your quarterback be able to run the ball isn't that important. Like, there are sacrifices you have to make to have that happen, and they aren't worth it. If you have a quarterback like JJ McCarthy, who has the ability to throw the ball, then you get in situations that are Lamar Jackson type situations. Right. Where your offense is impossibly explosive because you can't cheat to the run because you Michigan can throw the ball and then you have to cover all 11 guys and this game plan was the perfect Lamar Jackson game plan where it's like absolutely yeah it was the Ravens have, yeah you have you have six JJ McCarthy runs in the game and the thing about those runs is they're not like you know Denard Robinson doing ISO up the middle every single one of them is an attempt to hit a dinger and they block it through the safety on three of those plays. 
or they should have blocked it through the safety on three less <laughs> plays. So there's the 21 yarder towards the end of the game where they do block it up, but Penn State's able to close the window. There's the double arc where two guys can't get the one safety. And then there's the counter, the QB counter where Hayes does not go for the safety. <clears throat> so all three of those on a different day with a little bit better blocking could have been touchdowns. And then the two long touchdowns Michigan does get are dependent on J.J. McCarthy's legs being a factor. Now you're going to get 10 yards on both those plays because they're blocked really well. But the difference is that two different guys who usually are supposed to be there are checking McCarthy or hesitating because of McCarthy. And that turns your 10 yards into 60 yards. There's no reason that can't continue. And that's, that's the power of, of that ground game is it just stresses you so much because usually you got two guys, right? If you're not checking the quarterback, you've got one guy carrying the ball. You got a quarterback. You're not checking and you can always funnel someone and funnel into the last guy. And then you're, then you're done. When that second guy is eliminated, you get Donovan Edwards and Corum, Corum just running past safeties who have no shot because they don't have any help and they're in a ton of space. So this game plan, I think my RPS was plus 24 and that's probably a record. I haven't checked it because there's been a lot of UFRs, but plus 24 <laughs> feels like a record. And that does have something to do with Manny Diaz because Manny Diaz is a gambler and Manny Diaz is a first year coordinator and his defense is really not well suited to what Michigan is doing right now because they don't know. I don't, I just don't know what they were doing on. <laughs> I, well, I, yeah. What, I, so first of all, they're, they're flying upfield against Michigan. Which yeah. I, I get, like, it's a gamble, right? And they did get Michigan to a bunch of second and tens because sometimes mm-hmm. they, they gambled correctly. But Michigan was really good at adjusting to that. And maybe they figured that the, the Zinter just hadn't seen it before. But, like, it's, the first time they shoot a guy into the backfield, the linebacker's, like, in there. Your brain tells you, oh, God, they're behind the line of scrimmage. And Zinter, who's on a pull, is normally going to go downfield, sees the guy, locks him out, and we're in business. Yeah, and that, that was... And just in terms of individual personnel, I think Zach Zinter had the most, I think, paradigm shifting day. Like we know Blake Corm's awesome, right? We, we know mm-hmm. JJ is doing JJ things. But, you know, Ryan Hayes had the block of the week, and Olu came in for a couple of really good blocks. And then I caught like three or four different things that Zinter did that were really good. Like there's this one where there's a defensive tackle slanting to him. He checks. He make. There's no one on his second level for him, so he checks his left shoulder, sees that's happening, and then just hammers the guy, just mm-hmm. demolishes him. And then Olu finishes sealing him, and then he goes to the second level. And if Edwards gets a cutback there, that's that's going to be another chunk. So I, uh, I I was really positive about him. He had no pass pro minuses. He had a lot of pluses in the run game, and you know he's going up against PJ Mustafer for a big chunk of this game. So this is not exactly going up against the Ohio State defense, but neither is this uh, a team full of mugs. I mean, they uh, Mo Ibrahim barely crested 100 yards against them on 30 carries, and a lot of that damage was done in the fourth quarter after the game. that game was over. So this is not a team that is a complete non-entity, even if Michigan did completely destroy them. And so 
Zach's interstate was highly encouraging. And I, I'm, I'm really happy be, also because I was team Zach's center like big time going into the year. Yeah. And there, there were yeah. some, like there were some questions about whether he was actually performing up to the level that was expected of him. And I think the answer is, yeah, he's, he is that dude. Um, so you got a really good center. You had a really good guard next to him and, you know, Keegan's not a slouch either. So excellent. And then Donovan Edwards, Donovan Edwards has always been a guy who, is super fast, has a lot of acceleration, and has not always gotten everything that's blocked for him. And in this game, he had a couple of issues, but also he was much more um, inclined to get a linebacker to commit and then show up at a different hole. And he's not quite quorum in that regard, but he is super fast. He has excellent uh, change of direction. So when he does that, you know, asking a linebacker to move and change direction at the same speed Donovan Edwards is, uh, it's not going to happen. So he obviously hit a couple home runs in this game. He broke some tackles um, and he had some cutbacks. So he had some lanes that showed up that are not where they're supposed to be. And he was able to find them and hit them. So highly encouraging game from him. I, I thought, you know, I've always been a little bit skeptical of him as like the bell cow back. And now I'm less skeptical, especially because man, he put a shoulder into one of those safeties. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going with it. Like that, <clears throat> that guy just stops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's he's coming downhill. It's like, all right, Told which you way about is this, those. Yeah, which way is this one going to go? And it's like, all right, that's that way. I, I would like to see him do that in blocking a little bit more because there were a couple opportunities that he had to block where, like, I he he kind of did what you expect a running back to do, or he got yeah. run over a little bit by a blitzer and. You know, with his size and his athleticism, I kind of want to see him get to that like A train level where he's actually an impact blocker. Well, he's not. He's never going to be A train level. That's 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 a whole whole nother level. Well, and the other thing that they used the the quarterback counter that I mentioned earlier has hmm. Bash attached to it, and he's in the slot. Yeah, and I love that. I love that because <laughs> they've they've run slants with him in the slot before. It's not right. a tip or anything. He can just go be a wide receiver, and then he's a super intimidating threat as a jet sweep guy. So mm. <clears throat> you have to pay attention to that. And uh, the attention that you pay to Donovan Edwards is the flip side of people paying attention to JJ McCarthy on the touchdowns that the running backs got. Right. And that's a, one reason yeah. that play is so wide open. So just a, a really useful, super versatile weapon. And uh, if Michigan state tries to man them up, we're going to get a wheel route this week. Let me tell you. Well, they had a couple wheel routes and, I mean, I think he didn't throw one of them. I think he, well, he had the. Um, there was the a wide open the, one. Yeah. There, well, there that was, was a, that wasn't a wheel route. That was just a screen. But but there was another one where he was wide open. Should get should have got a touchdown. I think that JJ just shorted it to him. No, I mean JJ I, put it a little outside, but that was. I didn't think it was really material to the way that that play was gonna gain yards or not. It made it cost him a, a two or three yards, but it wasn't really a big deal. Okay. I mean, the only kind of negatives for this game is that JJ had three inaccurate screens. He has, <laughs> I have, I mean, I've, I have 10 inaccurate passes for him all season entering this game. And then he airmails the Edwards screen. He puts one in front of uh, Wilson, which I still kind of think is a little bit on Wilson. But, and then he puts one behind Ronnie Bell. Other than that, like, you know, there were a couple incidents where I thought he should have pulled the trigger earlier like the the play that everybody was freaking out about the no 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 yes play to to quorum it's a, a three-man route basically and penn state has it covered deep and ronnie bell's wide open mm. 
there's only three guys and both safeties are going with the deep routes. So I don't feel like that's a hard read to get to. And I just don't understand why he doesn't throw it. And then when he's trying to that throw to Corum was not actually to Corum. He was tossing the ball out of bounds. Right. And it just kind of happens that Corum's over there. Yeah. So that's, that's a bad read and, but not like a, a terrible one. And then there was one in the red zone where it's a triangle concept. Penn state uh, shoves a safety down to cover uh which I don't think McCarthy expects. And then he looks up Wilson. Who's open. Who's open. And it's, he's, he's open for five or seven yards or whatever. It's not going to be a huge play, but it, you know, just keeps you ahead of the chains and he doesn't pull the trigger for whatever reason. And then he doesn't run the ball and then he's about to get sacked and he's trying to throw it to fairly covered uh, Donovan Edwards and puts it in the turf. And so those are like two little hiccups where I'm just like, uh, there's, there was, there, there was times one when more like, when they jumped off sides uh, where I, I think, Oh, I yeah. remember seeing that from the stadium and like Roman Wilson was just standing there yeah. under the coverage first down. I mean, it, that that was we're 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 nitpicking again, but like that's well, I don't I don't know game. if it is nitpicking because it is three different three different events where mm-hmm. the read is wrong, and in circumstances where I feel like it's not like oh yeah, this is completely understandable that the read is wrong here because of X Y or Z, or this is a tough this is tough to get to. Um, I think those were pretty reasonable to expect him to get to those. And I, I'm not, I'm obviously not down on JJ McCarthy, um, but those were just, you know, a few hiccups that kind of led to a day, which was like, okay, as a passer. Yeah. Now on the ground, he made a ton of great decisions. The, uh, <clears throat> the, the uh, late uh, zone read keep on, on double arc. That was good because he noticed that even though the defensive end was in the backfield and was square, that he was cheating to the running back and he pulled. That's, and that's that game. I mean, we, we go back to the army game all the time, right? Where like that guy would just, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry to keep doing it. No, like, it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be the army game. Let's just talk about the whole Shea Patterson era. Right. But like where you would odd... have an end kind of leaning over. Right. And you're playing basketball yeah. with that guy. Can I get around him or not? Right. And he's going to be cheating in and you have to read body language. You and I can't really see that on film, but there is some body language that the quarterback has to look at because you're just playing. It's just it's backyard football at that point. Yeah. And also, like, I mean, the guy's going to be leaning one way or expecting something. And even if he's technically in the right position mm-hmm. and it's technically a give read, you can't give it all the time. Because then you are allowing them to dictate what you're doing on offense, and then that guy's still relevant to the running back. And that happened a couple of times in previous games where the guy's in a spot where the uh, give or keep is not clear, and every time it was a give. And so hmm. you got to mix it up sometimes. And sometimes you're going to get it wrong, and it's not going to be. Um, salutary for your offense but the ability to make that read and the desire to make that read because i mean let's be honest shea patterson did not want to get hit right he <laughs> just he was he's out on the golf course hit. yeah yeah I, it, and uh, he we, also was probably injured in 2019 so probably well doubled yeah, it up, but, but yeah i mean remember that illinois game where they ran the same play back to back just because it's mm-hmm. like it's there you have to keep it mm-hmm. um and mccarthy we saw him go out of bounds a couple times in some game, I forget which one, maybe it was Maryland, where it's just like, you gotta go get the yards that are there. 
Well, that hasn't recurred, right? Like he went yeah. out of bounds after five yards on an early one because that was the play, right? He wasn't going to get anything more. Just don't take the hit. But every other play in this game, he's he's going for it, right? Like he's getting what he should be getting. And he's keeping what he should keep, you know, give or take an occasional gray area one. So just in terms of willingness to do it, desire to do it, I think he's got that. And he's obviously got the ability to make those post-snap reads. So whatever hiccups we had for JJ in terms of like, okay, didn't get to this guy on a play or missed a, a screen or whatever, I think offset by the fact that his legs were a primary factor in a complete demolition of a pretty good rush defense. So yeah. I wonder if that was a, a practice decision too, that maybe, you know, he's gotten his reads down that they simplified the passing game a little bit for him just because this was going to be such a big part of the game plan against Penn State. Well, I mean, if if they simplified the reads, he's still got to get to him. <laughs> I don't know. We'll yeah. <laughs> like he's uh he's still insanely accurate on short stuff. And I think the the long ball is gonna come. We saw it last year, right? And it's just a matter of getting it calibrated, and then he'll be like full go. All right, yeah. we're going to take a break, come back, talk about the other side of the ball. This is Matt Demrest, the owner of Homeshare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance. This is Seth Fisher from MGO Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use Homeshare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself used them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our company. Loan. Brian used them, you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com. That's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E lending.com slash mgoblog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me. Kind of an annual tradition. Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you? Nine. Can I get a Go Blue. Go Blue! NMLS number 1161358, equal housing lender. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the Big House. Their 11 spacious six-bedroom, six-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com. In southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. 
If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit AnnArborElderLaw.com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. Welcome back to MGO Radio 8.7. We now talk about Michigan's performance against Penn State on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, pretty good. Yeah. Uh, first, quickly, I want to mention the music you're listening to is White Beach, uh, Shannon Marine Barnes, who's from Michigan. And the first song that you heard was actually called Beat State. So uh, go check out her album. I put a link in on the, uh, on the thing because uh, she's pretty good. And I uh, want to make sure people listen to her stuff. Also... I want to make sure people understand Jesse Minner had a day against James Franklin. It was, it was, uh, it was even better than I thought. Um, and like going in, I was like, you know, okay, I guess, you know, we had a good game against these guys, but it didn't register until I was breaking things down. Just how much Minter just like had their number. Um, there was one that stood out, especially where Penn state does it maybe once every three games where they just, split everybody out and they're going to run Clifford. And the second they did that, Michigan just had the absolute perfect response. I mean, they, they had a defensive end fly out there um, saying, okay, go ahead and use, you know, instead of losing their linebackers for the box, they had a um, slant on and they were completely ready for the, the polar that was supposed to uh, lead Clifford out of there. And every single time Penn state runs this um, and I've seen them probably twice this year, maybe, you know, four or five other times in previous years, every time they've run it, they've got eight, 10 yards and Michigan just absolutely stuffs it. It's on a crucial down. And it's like, man, they, <laughs> they use that buy and um, no, Michigan didn't even have a buy. They just did their homework on Penn state. I guess their whole season to this date was a buy. Yeah. I mean, so one thing that we were a little concerned about was Clifford not really getting a ton of pressure in this game. Right. And mm-hmm. We're theorizing that they're just trying to not allow Clifford to break the pocket, improvise, because that's one of the things he's best at. Is that something that showed up on tape for you? It did. Uh, It wasn't as extreme as we thought. It wasn't like all four guys were just trying to box him in. The theory I came up with, and it's just a theory, is that Michigan seemed to have one guy told, okay, go get him. Right? If you get singled, your job is to go get the quarterback, and everybody else is playing contain. Which is the opposite of how it normally is. Normally, you have two or three guys trying to get to the quarterback, and then you kind of have one guy sitting back near the line of scrimmage playing contain. So I think that they that was a definitely that strategy. But they still always had one guy, especially if they got singled, um, whose job was just like just go beat that guy and get to the quarterback and get him out of there. And then when that happened, uh, he would have nowhere to go because they have three guys on on contain. So like he breaks the pocket and he you you're you're getting ready for the the Clifford experience and you know Mike Morris is right there and he just kind of rolls him out of bounds after three yards and it's it's a nothing play, so that was kind of the strategy they just wanted to have a little bit of pressure on him make sure that he was you know wasn't just sitting back there and being comfortable and picking him away when he did get comfortable when Michigan did lose that block and they lost it a few times um, that's when Clifford got them because you know he is you know, we were calling we were referencing uh thorn as a as a young sean clifford but clifford's a dude 
And I, I know he's not accurate enough to make the NFL, and I know he's been beaten up. But, I mean, that guy is a player, and when you give him a little bit of time, he's going to find somebody, even if, you know, there's someone in his face and he's about to go down and, like, the guy's a little bit covered. And um, I wasn't even that mad at the linebackers this time because when that happened, it's like, okay, Clifford has a guy in his face. He's hopping in the air to kind of make that throw. Uh, and, you know, Colson runs down on a three-yard pass when he should be, like sitting back, but that was it. It wasn't like the 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 big uh, linebacker bust we had before. It was Michigan had a plan to make sure take away anything that Clifford likes to have, try to force him either into dump offs or sit in the pocket long enough for him to get chased out. And eventually, Michigan was just up really late, and he go, uh, he goes out. And then the difference with Alar in there is just amazing. It's incredible to me. I know this is getting a little off topic for Michigan, but Penn State fans <sighs> want Clifford out of there for some reason. Like they're well, ready for the hour. <laughs> I mean, I get it. Like he's been he's been around for so long, and he's not like the guy who's going to beat Ohio State. Um, sure, but Allar's not going to beat Ohio State either. Yeah, I, like, I know, but it's hard. Things change so fast. That. When he got in there, like the the play calling got simplified. They just they didn't have the the opportunities anymore. Um. But, I mean, Minter was just messing around with them, too. Like, you could tell this is the game that Michigan circled defensively. There was just so much more interesting stuff. There was it, – it was the first time we've had a college crap game, right? Like, all, like, the, the weird stuff that you can do in college that no NFL team would ever try to get away with. It's like, that's that's not going to work. Like, you know, the NFL quarterback will kill you. Um, Minter started – you know, it wasn't a lot of it, but he did some unsound things finally. The uh, – unfortunately, they didn't get paid off that well because – Sometimes, like one Michigan player would just mess up. Unfortunately, two of those times was Kalel Mullings, who just like had a sack absolutely lined up, and he just turned down for no reason. Um, one time he just ran himself out of the play. The other time he kind of had a targeting issue where he was going inside and just allowed the uh, I think it was on uh, Allar at that point um, and led the quarterback to just kind of step out of his way. So. They could have had a couple more sacks that they set up late, and when they were starting, you know, they actually used their blitzes, and then the linebacker didn't collect the sack, and the uh, the third and nineteen play was one of those as well. So I came out of this a lot higher. You know, you had a high RPS score for the offense on the defense. It was pretty much the same game. I didn't check to see if it was a a record, but I think it was around plus twenty four as well, which is pretty insane. Yeah, uh, plus eighteen. So. Wow. Not in the same range, but still, you know, That's pretty close to the same range, especially because just the sheer number of plays yeah. that Penn State had was was very low. So that's, I mean, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is there? I mean, is there anybody who's kind of coming into their own here? Mike like, Sainer still. Yeah. Yeah. I he was dominant in this game. I mean, you you can probably recall he you know had a, a great PBU. Um, he was great on the edges once again. I mean, this we talked about it on WKKA a, f- a few weeks ago, but he is becoming all around a better player than Dax Hill. Like it's, whoa! I, I wouldn't say that Dax. <laughs> like you can do more with Dax Hill, and Dax Hill's talent level is much higher than Samer Stills. But when I look at the grading, when I like the difference he's having in the plays that he's involved in, um, you know, Dax would have a couple coverage busts every every game and he would have one play over him i you and i were disagreeing on that fourth and six but the the one thing we both agree on is the saner still 
play that as well as you can play that, right? Like he's got yeah. a guy singled up and they throw a fade on him. And at one point his hip is in front of the receiver on a fade to the outside. And like the only reason I, I think that the receiver had to pull up and then jump at the ball, he couldn't actually make a good stab at it because Samer still was just on. It was the only way he could get any separation. Um, and then Jamon Green, they didn't really throw to him that much either. But anytime he flashed or anytime you saw him on screen, you know, his guy was just taken care of as well. So he's another guy I'm kind of keeping an eye on. Uh, DJ Turner, you know about already. Um, Junior Colson kind of had his same up and down score. The positives this time were a little bit more visible than the negatives, which I guess is a good sign. Um, where like his, you know, sometimes he missed his gap or something like that. It was like a minus one. But uh, and then you know we've been doing this all all year, but Chris Jenkins has just been awesome, and this was just another time where like you know <laughs> I'm I'm kind of glad Pro Football Focus is not charting that well this year because otherwise like we'd be retweeting whatever they're saying about him because he's got to be scoring really high again. Uh, he's he's in the backfield all the time. He's getting low. That third and one was um, Michigan stopped early in the game, like. You know, the reason Penn State didn't have very many plays uh, in the first half is just because they're getting booted off the field. And part of that was every time they got into a running down, uh, Chris Jenkins made a play. And if you remember that third and one, like he he dents the line. Now, this was also an RPS because Michigan kind of gave them that uh, where they the way they align their tackles. They kind of gave them the gap and then they just had both tackles pinch into that gap and everyone kind of came there and that forced the bounce out into Morris um, and that got them a, you know, a, a loss on third and one and a punt. Um, but none of that happens if Jenkins doesn't get under two blockers and that's what he's been doing this season. It's, it's happened for him. So, you know, we've got Mozzie Smith. We're going to know about him. Chris Jenkins, that gives you a second star against on the defensive tackle. Uh, and Mason Graham has been fine. Uh, they didn't use him as much this game because it was more kind of a spread game. Uh, and then, you know, Oki, I kind of think that he might be a starter. I will have to see against Michigan State, but I think he's answered all the questions at this point. Like, they ran a lot of zone reads on him, and he played them perfectly, and he just has a lot more upside than Jalen Harrell, who's still playing well, but you can just, you know, Oki is there. I think he's. we've gotten to the point now where he's had that, I don't know if he's an NFL prospect at the end of the season, but he's definitely a player that Michigan uh, can rely on. And it's a lot more than we expected at the beginning of the season. All right. Uh, anything else? Uh, uh, Michael Barrett's kind of coming around. Like, I think maybe giving him just enough linebacker time is, you know, he's still only in the plus one range. But, like, if you look right out in the I mean, honestly, linebacker. <laughs> like, yeah, if given the rest of this defense, if you have a guy who's scraping along at zero at linebacker, I'm taking it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Running. Yeah, and that's the thing. He's in early in the season he had some mistakes as well, and those are kind of disappearing as he's getting used to playing linebacker, I guess. And so uh, I, I I would say he's a better linebacker than Colson at this point. And if we don't get our um you know, we don't get the Kai Hill Green back, he's not getting out of the mulling, so I think this is what you're gonna have and okay. It's it's gonna be okay. All right. Uh, if Michigan loses, I will not be on this podcast next week. I will set myself on fire. Um, so I hope you, that's, you know, you'll have to do it with Alex. And, Unless and you want to set yourself on fire, too. I'll just jump on a couch. <laughs> Lock,
Morris is a mayor and a land surveyor with plans of his own. He hates Aruska, he hates a vodka bandit from his home. He hates Aruska, vodka, vodka. He never drank a single drop.